0: Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Alex Forrest of the Firefighters Union on abandoned buildings that burn. Carolyn Klassen from Connexus Counseling helps us deal with the Tehran plane tragedy. And the royals are a hot topic right now with Harry and Meghan stepping back. Dwight Batali weighs in. He's been a part of 14 royal visits to Manitoba. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now, the podcast. Joining us right now from the United Firefighters Union, Alex Forrest. And I wanted to get Alex on today. Uh, We've been telling you in the news and on the various shows about this apartment block fire on Maryland. And apparently now this thing, uh, this structure is going to be uh, demolished. Alex, uh, first of all, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hal. Thanks a lot for doing this. Uh, I guess my uh, first question to you is, you know this building well, don't you? Yes,
1: we know this building well. It's been for almost 20 years that this building's uh, avoided demolition and has numerous fires throughout the year. And and just in the last year, there was uh, two major fires last year that the firefighters had had to go into.
0: Yeah, let me just play from the start this morning. Mackling McGarry McNabb got a call from Roy, who lives in that area. Listen to what he had to say about this fire.
1: Oh, again? (laughs) Yeah, it's been, uh, well, uh, I think I've lived there six years and it's been up uh, four or five times on
0: fire. So how can this happen? How can a structure like this, obviously if it's abandoned and it gets boarded up, there's a good chance somebody's going to get in there, start a fire to stay warm, and we see this over and over again. This isn't the only building where this has happened. Um, There has to be a better way to deal with these abandoned structures because here's what I worry about. I worry about uh, maybe not a fire where someone's inside that building, but a fire that catches on to a building nearby where people are living or one of your members, one of your firefighters going in and being hurt or God forbid killed. Yes, exactly. What happens is that,
1: uh, the number of these type of structures in downtown Winnipeg, in the inner city, uh, the west end, it's not in the dozens, it's in the hundreds. Uh, we know of many of these buildings, and uh, we have done everything we can uh, it has to do with a lot of the poverty element as well. Many, many of these places, uh they have a fire. Uh, the landlords will go in there and they'll do the minimal amount to try and keep them, them running. Uh, and because individuals have no other choices, they have to still stay renting in those places. And that it results in another fire. And it just keeps going on and on. And then once a fire uh, occurs to such a level that they have to board it up, the the landlord walks away or the individuals walk away because it's just too expensive to do anything. And we have to take, quicker action we have to do better action and we have to deal with this as a way to uh, prevent future fires uh, future injuries occurring to the public and and uh, we have such a homeless problem in downtown winnipeg all these buildings are known to these homeless people these are where you can get out of the environment and uh, that's why they're in there every time we have a, a fire in a vacant house We don't assume it's vacant. We have to assume that there's homeless people in there because the majority of the time, the reason the fires occur in the winter is because they're just trying to keep warm, these poor individuals.
0: Yeah, that was my thought, too, after uh, reaching out to you this morning. I thought, well, is there a way maybe the firefighters could go, it's abandoned, just protect the buildings around it? But you never know when there might be somebody in there. Well, some
1: of our biggest tragedies we've had have been at vacant buildings. And this is not only in Winnipeg, but across North America. We we cannot assume that any building is empty, uh, especially in Winnipeg and the downtown core, uh, especially with the addictions, the meth issues that occur. Uh, We pull people out of vacant houses and vacant buildings almost every single week. Uh, This is something that we have to do. Firefighters, this was an extremely dangerous fire, too, because it had multiple fires in there before. Uh, It was extremely tough fighting, high winds, the temperatures, and uh, we're just very fortunate that uh, there was bricks falling off this building. Uh, We had so much water and ice that there was actually the trees were collapsing because of the weight of the ice and everything, and the firefighters were narrowly uh, hit because of this. So this is just something that we have to deal with, but we have to be more proactive. But again, it comes to us trying to yell from the highest hill to the politicians that we have real problems in the downtown core the inner city we have to put resources into poverty we have to put resources into this and these vacant buildings are part of the the overall poverty issue that that has taken over uh, many areas of Atlantic,
0: and I agree with you on that. We have to deal with stuff like poverty. It definitely contributes in a big way to this stuff. but I think even even more urgent, if I can use that word uh, right. is dealing with these buildings, especially this one. we've had multiple fires in this building. How is it able to? To stay there, why is it not, like, now they're going to demolish it. it, it, I know politicians have been cracking down a bit on this, but I, I still see it as a big problem.
1: Yeah, it is a big problem, and I think it could be part of the solution. If these buildings are going to be abandoned by these landlords that don't put any time or effort into these buildings because they get in there, they make their money, and they leave, if we could take over these areas, it may be able to help in the homelessness. We may be able to build uh, uh, low-rent housing that can assist us in a major issue such as homelessness. So they're, like I, I believe if the politicians were more aggressive in dealing with this, give us quicker timelines to be able to go in, take over a building. If it's not being renovated after a fire, we take it over, we basically confiscate it and we use it for other purposes.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, Um, that is definitely, and do you know if uh, officials, politicians, or any organizations have ever looked at doing something like that?
1: Well, we have the uh, every single year we have so many of these fires and we have so many homelessness areas and we try to work with Salvation Army. We try to work with other organizations, but it takes money to be able to put into it. And, and I know that politicians have looked at this, but once they see that there has to be a capital expenditure to this, it falls on the wayside because there just isn't any money. We're just trying to uh, get along day by day almost on the monetary Ill- Elements in the city of Winnipeg and even the province of Manitoba. But we need to invest in certain elements to be able to uh, solve the overall issues that are hurting the city so badly.
0: Right. Alex, thanks a lot for this. I appreciate it. Okay. Thank you very much, Al. It is Thursday right after the 2.30 news, and so that means Carolyn Klassen is here from Connexus Counseling. We've got some other stuff to talk about, but we'll do that in the second uh, segment here, Carolyn. Uh, First of all, I just want to get your reaction to the news today that um, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says evidence is suggesting that it was a missile that hit that plane and caused it to come down, killing all those people, including nine Winnipegers. Um, I guess first your reaction to that, but then tell me what that must be like now for family and friends of people killed in that crash.
2: Well, when I heard it went down, and you kind of watched the timing of it, and you kind of yeah. put two and two together, and you desperately hope. You wonder. You yeah. wonder. And- And there was just, I mean, I don't want anybody to die from a plane crash, but we all know that, you know, engine failure, mechanical failure of some sort, it's going to happen. That's a part of being alive as those things happen. But to think that this happened because somebody pushed a button, um, there's just an extra level of futility and senselessness and frustration that happens with that, you know. So... So often when we hear about Iran and Iraq or Afghanistan in the news, it feels so far away, it's on the other side of the world. And I tell you, Iran has never felt so close as it has in the last couple of days to know that nine Winnipeggers were on that plane that didn't come home and all sorts of other people that were from Iran that were coming to Canada to be students, right? Like, these are our people. And this feels so close and it feels so personal. Um, We are bothered by this because this is something that feels awful.
0: You know, yesterday... Um, I was on the air, and while we're dealing with this on the air, you're busy, you're not, you don't have time to think about it, I guess. And then after I got off the air yesterday, I started looking at some of the pictures. Uh, And then this morning, what really struck me is I was listening to the start, Mackley McGarry McNabb and Greg read a tweet from one of the women. Mm -hmm. Her last tweet was about watching her first football game, the Bombers win the Grey Cup and he was emotional it choked me up because uh, you know you're right sometimes these things feel far away and uh new canadians are canadians don't get me wrong but you know it, we but it made me realize that they cheer for our teams they they are they're a member of our community they worry about the crime in our community uh all of our worries and all of our joys are theirs as well. They are and were a part of this community.
2: These are fellow students, fellow colleagues. These are friends and neighbors of us. These are our people, and they were victim to... Forces seems like forces and struggles that were not theirs to have, and they got caught up in it. And I think it reminds us all the importance of finding a way of speaking up and using our voices and finding a way to have an impact in matters that feel larger than who we are because we are affected. This, we are now in a place where things that happen on the other side of the world actually also happen in our backyard. This global community is something that... This has made it so that something that has happened physically on the other side of the world it's happened with people that are just living next door just down the street from us.
0: Yeah. People that we all had there's a connect, we live in this city of almost a million people but it's a small town in many ways Absolutely. And, and you know somebody knows somebody who knew somebody and and it really has touch the whole community.
2: Right. This, many of them were connected with the University of Manitoba. That's yeah. where I graduated from. Right. That's my school, yeah. right? Like right. this feels very personal. It feels very close to home to so many people and I think it this is this is something that when we feel really sad and really troubled by I th- it, please understand me. Like I think that's okay. That's a normal thing to feel because this is awful this is horrible and so when we feel troubled by it it's because we're having a normal reaction by normal people to abnormal situations this should not be happening in our world that air to surface a surface-to-air missile yeah. ends people's lives that live here down the in Winnipeg. Here yeah. in Winnipeg, right. and um, I, I think maybe it also then is a call for us to remember that when they aren't Winnipeggers, but that sort of thing happens on the other side of the world, those are somebody's children, parents, neighbors, coworkers, colleagues, fellow students. Those are real people that are impacted, and so without being flooded and overwhelmed by the tragedy in a way that has to be paralyzed, I think we have to say this matters, and we're going to take action. Like world peace is something that you know we joke about how you know beauty contestants talk about it This has to be something that we actually figure out and talk about and find a way to get along better. Because when people are being killed because of stuff that's happening between two countries that isn't even something we're directly involved with, we then become directly involved when something like this happens.
0: Well, and, you know, a part of grief, I think, for everybody, grieves differently, they say. And I think it's true. But part of grief at some point is anger. Absolutely. There's some anger over loss. And one of the reporters asked Prime Minister Justin Trudeau an interesting question. Uh, he said, "How much responsibility do you do you put with the Americans and President Trump? Because it was his action against the Iranian general mm-hmm. that caused the Iranian missiles to fly, and maybe if this is an anti, uh, uh, you know, missile, may have caused the plane to. You know what I mean? Like it gets complicated.
2: Well, there is the ripple effect, right? Um, and." Absolutely. I think when we go back and there's going to be lots of fingers to point, part of grief is anger. And I think there is a place for anger in grief because anger is positive energy. So much about grief in this tragedy feels really helpless. And we have to be aware that anger gives us energy and feels like we have, it's a way of taking some of our control back in a situation where it just feels so helpless. And so there's a place for anger in grief, but I think we also have to realize that if we're not careful, that anger can hijack and people start pointing fingers in all directions and just sort of offloading that energy of feelings by anger onto other things. And before we know it, we can be mad at our kids or our dog in ways that have nothing to do with this. So I think it's important to be aware of that anger, but we're going to be hearing and talking about how far do we back this up and where do we point fingers and uh, indeed that w- that attack those were retaliatory because of what President Trump did and it felt, what why did he do that and there's lots of talk about that. I think we're aware of how the larger context that often feels like it doesn't have anything to do with us today, it feels very much like it has a whole lot to do with us.
0: And I know around here, a lot of parents have been talking and I've been hearing them talk about talking to their kids about this, right. Mm -hmm. Or other major events, good and bad and how you describe them to children and how you, and you know, there are kids out there right now that knew because there were children on this plane that were killed. So, Uh, How do you deal with the kids on this?
2: Well, I think we're all aware of how vulnerable we feel. Vulnerability is uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. And sometimes when people like to avoid vulnerability and say, oh, we're very safe, we're Canadians, we don't get involved in things, we're safe, and then something like this happens and you realize, oh, actually, we are all a lot more vulnerable than what we like to admit. I think what we have to do is recognize and and find a way to tell our children of there is a lot of safety that happens and there are some tragedies that happen, but there are so many more planes that land safely and we hear about the one that didn't. Mm. And so how can we show our children sort of the flight schedules? These are all the planes that are coming up and landing and, and the the children on those planes arrived safe to give them some context because they hear about the one plane that went down over and over and children don't always have that perspective that grownups do. And so they feel like it's happening all the time and people are feeling very unsafe I think we have to put it into context for children. And then we also have to do that while we do the normal things. We talked to on Monday about the value of routine for children, right? And so as children have questions, we ask, we answer those questions. And then we say, and now would you like to play some Lego or some Play-Doh and remind them about the normal, stable things so that our anxiety doesn't freak the children out.
0: And then, sort of connected, we've got people that have a fear of flying. And this happens and they go, oh. You know, you talk about kids overreacting. Mm -hmm. What about that? You know, you see something like this, especially when it affects people in our community Mm -hmm. that I'm sure has to be freaking people out out there who are afraid of flying.
2: Yes, and and fear of flying is very real for some people, um, and Um but often that fear of flying isn't actually connected to statistics, right? Like if you're going to, if you have something that's happening in BC and you're scared to fly and you want to take the car and you look at the stats, you have to be realistic because often it's safer to fly than it is because the car accidents happen too, right? But we don't hear about them to the same extent because they don't grab the headlines the way that uh, plane crashes do. And so as people feel that anxiety about flying and sometimes still have to fly anyways, it's important to... Do your research not only about the statistical likelihood that um, a plane isn't going to crash, but also about how do we manage anxiety. And often, the plane about the anxiety about planes is really about anxiety. How do you do breathing exercises? How do you get on those apps? How do you find a way to address your anxiety in a way that says there's a lot of things I can't control, but I can control my breathing. I can control my heart rate. I can control the way I choose to respond to some things. The resources I choose to access and. I'm going to do what I can to look after myself.
0: And before we break and move on to other stuff, you lost a friend. I did. So talk about that because I think that's an important thing to discuss today in connection Mm -hmm. with this.
2: Well, so last Thursday, as I was leaving uh, the radio station, I got a phone call uh, and it was a unit from the Deer Lodge Center saying that my friend who we we would be hoping would be recovering from a fall, actually she had deteriorated to the point where she was comfort care only. And so I spent Thursday evening and most of Friday with her, sitting with her, sitting vigil as we were waiting for her last breath. And one of the things that happened, fantastic staff at Deer Lodge, just really appreciate them, is that they would come in and they would say, I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do, but is there anything I can get you or is there anything I can do? And often I would say, no, there's nothing you can do, but thanks so, co- thanks so much for coming in and checking on us. And they would say goodbye to Selma and they would just be with me for a minute or two. And and as they were saying, there's nothing I can do, but what can I do? That, in fact, actually was doing something, right? Because they were showing up and being present for myself. Um who was sitting with Selma, and we don't we like to think that Selma could also hear that people were coming by and saying, "I care, you matter I'm just showing up to show you that I, that it mat- that that you matter to me and that that even in the helplessness of it all, just coming and saying, "I care is actually doing something really important and I so appreciated what people did when they were just coming by to express mm. that care and that's something we can do for the families of those nine Winnipeggers um, and the you know, dozens more that were affected by students being here, um, that we just show our caring and that we take care of each other and all those that are affected by this tragedy. Sorry
0: to hear about your friend. But again, that story now has been shared with Mm. thousands of people and the community, it's an important message for the community and members of this community to hear at this time because they can reach out and say, there's nothing I can do, but what can I do?
2: And that is doing
0: something. And that is doing something something. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm so happy to have in studio with me today, a great guy, Dwight McCauley. Uh, Dwight, nice to see you. Happy New Year. And to you, and oh, I'm you. sorry. Let me turn your mic on. I hey, thought I didn't. I forgot. It works a lot better that way. Yes, it works much better Good that way. Good to see you it's, too. It's and happy New Year to you too. Yes. Yeah. All the best in 2020. So how long were you the former chief of protocol with the government of Manitoba?
3: Well, I was chief of protocol for about uh, twenty years, actually, and it was—I uh, just retired two years ago. So, yeah, uh, yeah I, I covered a lot of territory there in that yeah. twenty years. And how many royal
0: visits did you uh, take part in?
3: You know, I was just thinking of that before I came in here with you this afternoon. I think it's fourteen. 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 Yeah. But not
0: all British royal family. Well, well
3: uh, I'd say uh, all but one. One was with the King and Queen of Sweden. I worked on that. Hmm. Uh, That was many years ago.
0: And yesterday, I wanted to have you in today and sort of get a sense of what that must have been like dealing with the royal family. Because we found out yesterday that Harry and Meghan are taking a step back. And as I was saying to you off air, I get it. You know, like I understand. I can't imagine what it would be like living in a fishbowl like that in that big spotlight. You know,
3: uh, uh, I think you're you're bang on. Uh, You know, all the royal visits are different. Each of them, they have their own personality, really. And Harry, I think, has been trying to carve out his own life over the last several years. You know, he's been very involved with the, uh, the military, especially uh, um, the, like the Invictus Games. He's been speaking out on mental health. He's been kind of carving out. He's been sort of carving out a different life for himself. Anyways, I think over the last last several years. But yeah, when you when you get a close look at that life, you know, when people see them on television, they're the center of attention. They go to their limousines and so on, and there's grand banquets and that that are hosted for them, and so on. And a lot of people, when they're watching that, mostly on television, although some people get to see it close up, when they see that on television, they think, uh, what a life, you know? But I think you could almost put a question mark on that. Say,
0: well,
3: that's that's the life? You know, uh, it's it's, it's something I personally wouldn't want, to tell you the honest truth.
0: Yeah. Did you ever get a sense with any of the members of the royal family... Frustration, or oh, I got to shake another hand, or or were they always great?
3: They were always great. They were they were always uh, on. It's a job, you know. It is there. It is there. They talk about working royals, and they talk about Princess Anne being the hardest working royal because of all the events and that that she attends. But no, I, I never sensed that ever from any of them. They all they all um, did what they had to do, and and they met the people they had to meet, and and so on. But yeah, I, I could see. Uh, uh, Prince Harry and, and Meghan Markle may be wanting to uh, take a different direction, but the truth is, the announcement yesterday. I don't think anybody really knows exactly what it is they're hoping to do. You know, it's not as though he can really leave the royal family. He'll be part of the of that family for his life, really. So it'll it'll be interesting to see how it how it works out. But it's certainly been the last the last two years have been uh, really not stellar for the royal family because we had the Prince Andrew stuff uh, not too long ago, and now we have Prince Harry and and, uh, and Meghan. But, you know, they're relatively new newlyweds. They've got a new baby. And uh, yeah, I, I could see them wanting some space and some time because I don't think anybody really has an idea what it's like to be in that fishbowl until you're in it. Even Meghan Markle with her own celebrity and uh you know being on television and so on i don't think that comes close to what's what happens when you're part of the royal family
0: well and they say they're going to split their time between uh britain and north america right. and i know in victoria they're hoping that they might make a home there of their many homes they could have as many as they want i guess um because they do seem to really like canada
3: well uh, that that's and and good uh, good on them that they do like canada i mean good for us but yeah they just had a great holiday apparently over the uh, christmas break and out west and uh, they couldn't have picked a nicer spot really uh, for that time of year to be out out on the west coast but yeah i mean I, I think we'd welcome them with open arms but as i said i don't think anybody really knows exactly what they're doing i was watching the american news channels this morning it's it's a big story Throughout the world, really, well, in a even, sense.
0: And it's apparently even the British family is sort of surprised by the announcement, and there's a bit of a fallout over there over this, and nobody really knows, as you said, exactly what this means.
3: That's right, and there's been demonstrations, I think, or people gathering out in front of Buckingham Palace because they think that Prince Harry uh, disrespected the Queen by not, apparently, not telling her in advance what he was hoping to do. But you know, there's uh, there's always a shred of truth in something, but there could be a shred of uh, you know just uh, nonsense in other uh, parts of the story as well. So who knows? I mean, we'll have to just wait and hear from from them and and I guess the Queen as to what uh, this all means. But I, I think for now they're just saying,
0: hey, we need we need some space. Mm-hmm. Before I let you go, did you ever have uh, Harry as part of one of the royal visits?
3: No, and I actually never met Prince Harry or Prince William. Okay, but uh, I've met uh, just about everybody else in the family. Yeah. So. Uh,
0: do you have a favorite royal? Was there one that really was uh, well, <clears throat> super nice and cool? well, i I think everybody's favorite is the Queen
3: herself. She's absolutely beautiful and stunning. And I mean, how many people do you know who are ninety three years old and have a full-time job? she is she is absolutely amazing. I, I liked I liked all of them for different reasons. I thought Prince Edward had a pretty good sense of humor. he uh, I, I thought he was uh, quite a nice guy, but you know, I had a chance to meet prince charles and and Prince Andrew when he came here with the uh, with Sarah Ferguson, they were newlyweds, they were one of the, the rock stars of the world really at the time, but uh, they've, they've, all been, they've all been wonderful, I enjoyed each, each and every royal visit, but uh, you know, this is uh, it's kind of a surprise really, as to what's happened over the last few days.
0: Dwight, great to see you, thank you for doing this, I really appreciate it. N- happy to be here, Hal, thanks a lot. Dwight McCauley, joining us here this afternoon, former Chief of Protocol Government of Manitoba, uh, 17 was it, 17 royal visits, is that how many you did? Fourteen. 14. 14, Involved in 14 royal visits to the province of Manitoba. Dwight, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.